to Beyond Well. And as as many of you know, this is a program where we talk a lot about our interior lives. And first of all, the warmest welcome to Brian, who just recovered from three weeks two, of the two, chicken Two pox. weeks of chicken pox. Holy. Oh, wow. Which is crazy. Like, how did I go so long without it? <laughs> So I'm working on trying to get an ear infection and croup now, <laughs> just to get like the trifecta of childhood illnesses. Are you going to get your tonsils out next week too, Brian? <laughs> the best thing is that I can definitely catch up on Netflix through you, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've definitely my the the monthly fee. I have made it well worth it in the last two weeks. I'm so sick of television. Today. And Dr. Jenna Lejeune joins us always, like with the brightest, beautiful colors. Oh, thank it's you. So good so to see much. you, Jenna. I, you know what? Um, Cheryl Strade was one of our very first guests on this show, and I'm so thrilled to have her back. But I am I, I'm kind of over the moon to have Mr. Sugar in the studio as well. <laughs> Brian Lindstrom. Oh, Brian is a fabulous filmmaker and. Cheryl and Brian just united on a filmmaking project that we're going to talk a lot more about in just a moment. But I wanted to to start with the idea that we could talk, especially the younger people who are looking perhaps for a life partner, about how you partner with purpose. And you said you have a meme for me or some some <laughs> something you're going to say about that, Cheryl? Well, I was trying to figure out like you know how to find a partner with purpose instead of Tinder. Like there should be a special app right. for for and you know there isn't an app for that. You no. have to in real life through trial and error. But you know one thing I will tell you that from the very beginning, one of the reasons that I fell in love with Brian, and and I think one of the reasons he fell in love with me is we did have that sense that we understood each other's mission, that we both said, you know, I was like, I'm a writer. And, you know, at this time, we were at the beginning of our of our careers, essentially. I didn't have a book published. He he had he was working on he had made a a, a short film or two, but was still, you know, very much becoming. Yeah. And we felt that sense of. Uh, connection for each other and compassion for each other. We knew how hard it was to have to find jobs to pay the rent, but while doing that work on the side. And and I immediately felt known by him and understood and recognized. Yeah, and and to find someone who uh, had that similar sense of calling and dedication and focus and uh, understood the choices you were making that uh, for some people are very strange. Yeah. You guys met nine days after Cheryl finished her hike, correct? That's right. And oh, wow. you immediately slept together, as I would, <laughs> <laughs> as anybody in this room would. But then I want you to each describe like they do in the affair. You describe your way about talking about this, and now you describe your way of talking about it. What happened right after that that you made the choice to hold off for a while. Right. So we slept together and then we didn't sleep together for six weeks. So I always say, Brian, it's the last person I regret having slept with. <laughs> so Brian, why don't you... <laughs> why don't you go first? You go oh, first. Wow. Tell, say, right. tell him what happened. Well, uh, on September 24th... 1995. 1995. He remembers the day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, can, I can remember the hour. Um, at 8 o'clock... Uh, my good friend Tom Kilbane uh, had invited me to go out to dinner with him, and he said, "Oh, by the way, uh, we're going to meet uh, this woman I just met Cheryl, at a garage sale. At a garage sale." Yeah. And uh, one thing about Tom, he's a lovely guy, but he's always late. And so by the time always. he picked me up, it's like eight thirty. And t- to make a long story short, as we were walking in, they were walking out. We met in the doorway. Oh. And so instantly, Cheryl kind of had an attitude like. 
what the hell? Who are you to make me wait? And I, you know, I didn't even know we were late because I didn't know what time Tom told them to be there. And so we sat down and we had dinner and we went and saw a show and we talked that night. And, he and, gave- and she had told me that, you know, she'd hiked the Pacific Crest Trail, which I'm not even sure I even knew the name of then. And yeah. um, I just thought, wow, you did what? You know, I got to know this person. And he told me I should write about it. And I said, nah, I don't have anything to say <laughs> clearly. about it. About it. Yeah, but, clearly. but then, so what happened is that night we, we liked each other and I gave, uh, I, he gave me his phone number. You guys are getting the whole story. I love he it. He gave me his phone number and on this little piece of paper and it, it sat in the windowsill of my room. I had this little room with a futon on the floor. And one night I was lighting, I had candles lit all over my room and that little piece of paper with his phone number. Number, which is still our home phone number, um, blew. Fr- I opened the window and it blew from the windowsill into the flame of the candle and burned into thin air. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And I, ca- I looked him up in the phone book. There used to be phone books. The white pages. And I called that number and I got Brian's voicemail and I said, we met the last week and this funny thing happened and we should, I think we should see each other again. And so we did. We had dinner and... And we decided... Uh, just to kind of get to know each other. No, uh, it, that's the night you jumped me. <laughs> I thought I jumped you the first night. No, you did not. I ju- wanted to jump you the first night. <laughs> Brian! I In my fantasy, I jumped you the first night. We've been together right. so long. Don't you remember? We go back right, to my apartment. You're right, you're right, and and right. he said, we were sitting in my bed on the floor. And I basically lo- gave, him, gave him my don't go loving me, babe. <laughs> kind of line. Yeah. He right. said, listen, I like you, but I'm not looking for a relationship relationship or and I said that's fine we can just be friends and as as soon as that word was out of my mouth he literally like pounced on top of me I mean this was before like consent was really teased out <laughs> he like pounced on top of me he was like a some one of those like guys who are really good at pickpocketing or whatever except in the other welcome to beyond well anyway. Brian. <laughs> but anyway I was clearly uh happy <laughs> so anyway we we you know, we slept together, and I had hiked the Pacific Crest Trail and come to a lot of deep, really, conclusions about, like, w- what was happening in my life. And one of the things that I realized is I was just using, I was, you know, having sex too easily with too many people. Yeah. And I did it again with this guy named Brian Lindstrom. Yeah. And I woke up in the morning, it was like 7 in the morning, and I remember waking up, and looking at him, we're and my little twin-sized futon snuggled together, and I and I asked him. I said, "Do you regret what we did last night?" And he said, "No." And and I knew he was lying when he said no. <laughs> I knew he was. Like I, I recognized that he too, like he didn't want to hurt my feelings, but that actually, I, I just felt like a partner. Like I felt like. I identified with him, that he was wow. also doing what I had been doing and that he was sort of at the end of the road with that too. Wow. And um, I said, you know, I f- just wasn't wanting to do this, you know, right now in my life again. And so he got up and left. I mean, we were like, let's, you know, let's be friends or whatever. And he left. And then I felt all the ways that you feel when you've done, when you've had sex, when you probably shouldn't have. You know, just that sense of like, oh, here we go again. And then now I can't be friends with this guy because it's awkward because we slept together and then I regret it. And, you know, and so then um, shortly after that, Brian, um, you know, just started reaching out to me and actually being my friend. Yeah. And I'm so glad I did. (laughs) 
And we decided that we would not, you know, that we would be friends, that we wouldn't be physical. Right. This, the thing that I love about this story is that so many young people nix their best friends as potential partners. Mm. Right. They, I hear it all the time that they say, there's no way that I can actually date that guy because I've been such good friends with him. He's my best friend. I love him so much. He's my best friend. And then, but there's like this line. And I want you guys to speak to this because one of the things that I think is fascinating is that the marriages that last are those that have a ton of respect and friendship involved. Oh, sure. Right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you're going to last 20, 30, 40 years, there also has to be that more kind of soul connection, that yeah. friendship. Yeah. Like You yeah. just, you enjoy being together and spending time together and you're connected around some of these bigger, in my language, values of mm-hmm. of. Things. Did you speak about your values early on while you were becoming friends? Well, I remember that um, we would have great walks and go on runs and, and talk about everything. And then um, I invited Cheryl to go to Hermiston with me where I was working on a uh, uh, project with uh, with uh, Mexican kids there, uh, a video project. Immigrants. Immigrants. Yeah. And um, it was so – it seemed like a turning point. Mm. That trip, right? I watched Brian working with these teenagers who that were the who were immigrants and um, who lived in Hermiston and they were making a life there. And I just the way it was all these teenage girls and just the gentle way that Brian talked to them and how much they loved him and admired him and um, just everything that he had dedicated his life to. And that's what we did. So during those those six weeks between the time we had sex until the next time we had sex <laughs> which um, we, so much tension. we fell in love yeah. and but we fell in love without uh, forefronting the erotic right yeah I mean it seems like so oftentimes people will get friend zoned you know yeah. like, oh yeah. I got in the yeah. friend zone and, and you get in that friend role because oh apparently she's not interested or I'm not interested because if you are interested why don't you put that cart before the horse yeah right, right. Um, and so if you are delaying the erotic it's because you're not interested instead of what you all did which was like no I intentionally want to develop something here so that what I'm drawn to is not just how you make me feel or how great your body works with my body but like right. I love how you are in the world yeah. when you watched him Right. It's like, I just love this man and how he does things. Yeah. And that's super interesting what you said there, Cheryl, because I don't think it had dawned on me before when I hear stories about people who will sort of say, I kind of knew I knew this was the person for me. It's very, very frequently around something like I saw them work or I saw them do this thing Mm -hmm. that brought out a value and as soon as I saw that I know that's the case for me with my partner as soon as I saw that I was like yes that's what that's what I want in my life and it was kind of the same thing of seeing Brian working there and how he was interacting with these young women when I fell in love with you because of your love for (laughs) Cheryl was when I was taking a class from Cheryl and watched you listen to Every word she had to say, and I can imagine you've probably been to 
how many speeches, thousands, tens of thousands maybe at this point. And he was your best student. Yeah. And I was like, even after, is it 20 years of marriage? Yeah, we've been married 20 years together, 24. 20 years of marriage, you're still learning from her, you're still learning from him. Yeah. I I always, uh, yeah, I mean, I I just, I never uh, tire of hearing what Cheryl has to say. I just except, so except when it's critical of me, then I get tired. Of he's, it. he's, you know, the thing is, Beautiful. I one of the the things I would say that's really true and uh, you know helps us stay so connected is we both really admire each other truly. Yeah, yeah. and you know, it's interesting, Jenna. We we you were talking about that whole. Um, you know, best friend or what it means to be intimate. And I think it's fascinating. Like when we say, we ask somebody, well, have you been intimate with each other? What we mean is, have you had sex with each other? And what happened with me and Brian is we had sex with each other without any intimacy. Mm -hmm. And then we decided not to have sex and we became deeply intimate over six weeks of getting to know each other. We went on long walks, as Brian said. We sat in my apartment and read pages of the dictionary out loud to each other oh, and oh, talked wow. about words and played yeah. games. We played word games. It was so sort of old fashioned. And yeah. we we did all of these things together that were all about deepening our intimacy. You read your first short story to me? That's right. I read wow. my short story out loud to him. And he I don't think I've first... ever been so nervous. Oh. <laughs> like so deeply wanting something to be good. <laughs> and, and so grateful that it was uh, like that it was beyond good. I mean, it was fantastic. It was great. Imagine how she must feel um, watching your oh, films. I, I mean, the first time she did, you know, you Same say, thing. right, it's a documentary filmmaker. He could have been really, yeah. really bad at what he did. Right. Instead, he's so, you're really one of the most purposeful, beautiful documentary filmmakers that I've ever witnessed, oh, Brian. You, First of all, that. I love the topics that you take on from, you know, the life of a, a mentally ill man who was killed by the mm. Portland police to the work that you've done with women in prison to what you're doing now in uh, with these women in Nepal is just, it's like everything that you could hope for in a boyfriend slash husband slash documentary <laughs> filmmaker, but, right? But can we just, I want to talk, you know, we talked about the Beginning of the relationship, yeah. which granted, I do in retrospect look back and think there were a lot of things that we did right and we truly fell madly in love with each other and everything. But that's not when it's hard. That's not when the going gets tough. <laughs> that's yeah. right. So let's talk about being, you know, having those 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 intentions and shared missions, in, in individual missions and trying to support each other when you're 10 years into the relationship and you have no money. And you have two babies like we did. And I'll tell you this. I always feel so sure that uh, really the reason that I've been able to have a career as a writer and Brian's been able to have a career as a documentary filmmaker is that we have each other. Because there are so many times that we both said, okay, the reasonable thing to do, and not just we said to ourselves, but everyone around us said, the reasonable thing to do would be to give this up and just get a real job. Because you have you're, you're broke, you you have the kids to support, and yeah. you know mm-hmm. every there every there there are no good reasons to continue this route. And Brian would always say to me, "Just keep going," and he still says it to me. Just keep just keep doing this, Cheryl. I believe in you. Wow. And I do the same to him. When uh, yeah, and when you have kids, suddenly that oh. sense of like you know, oh my God, am I being irresponsible by following my dream? Yeah. You know, is that am, am I making my kids pay for that? you know, yeah. in some way. I'll never forget, um, at, at kind of like the depths of our financial crisis, uh, when I would be done, um, 
editing at nighttime, I would sneak onto the internet and like look on Craigslist for jobs. And I, uh, I got offered one. It was like for an advertising agency that I won't name. Um, and you know, it, it had, you know, benefits and paid, you know, a decent amount of money. And, uh, I kind of sheepishly told Cheryl, well, I think I should do this and I'll never forget. She said, if you take that job, I will divorce you. You will be miserable, and it's not what you're meant to do. You are not taking that job. And, I mean, my God, can you, I can't ask for more support or guidance than that, or wisdom. You know? He was like, you're crazy, but okay. But you're I was, crazy, but thank you. He would be, he would be miserable. See, there's so – I love what you're saying because we spend so much of our time and uh, focusing on – what kind of a partner do we want? Like all of these apps are all about like, do I like that person? Swipe right, swipe left. It's all about the right. other person. And what you two are talking about and something that I'm often talking about with my clients is focus on your values, yes. you being the person that you want to be, mm. and then find a partner who is going to help you shine. So I, yeah. I use the analogy of it's like salt and chocolate. It's like... Chocolate by itself is is good, but you put just a tiny little bit of salt in the chocolate <laughs> yeah. and it just tastes more chocolatey. Uh, yeah. So you want to find somebody that is the salt to your chocolate. The two of you don't have exactly the same life pursuits, but you both have this commitment to helping the other person be their mm. best self, be their most chocolatey self. Yeah. And that's what helps, I think, a relationship be so solid. It's really beautiful to see. So I want to ask you about when you have the kids and you have these incredibly busy lives. And Cheryl, your schedule, I mean, I just watch it. You are all over the world. <laughs> and Brian, your schedule is really, really difficult. What does a daily life look like? Do you get up? Do you have a shared calendar? Are you saying this goal is important for me? Here's how we're going to handle that. Do you actually have to run your marriage in some ways as a business in order to help each other achieve your goals? Well, uh, it never seems that uh, formal. Yeah, if it's, it's yeah. a business, it we're about to go to kind bankrupt. Of flow. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's. I love how it's like. Let's see. We get up. Um, no, but I know what you're saying. And yeah. The way we make it work is. I mean, we we share everything. I mean, that's the thing too. It's like we we're very we're really co-parents together, and um, we shared our domestic labor, and we're very much like. You know what? What do you need this week? What do you need to do right now? Brian's in deep editing mode yeah. with his um, documentary about the musician Judy Sell, and so he's been in his basement office a lot, and and, and in a way that um, makes our family kind of uncomfortable, yeah, because we're used to having him serve us more. <laughs> um, and so, you know, and then other times where it's like, then I, the stress, I'm the stresser because I'm gone for two weeks, right. or, you know, yeah. and then it's all on Brian. And, uh, you know, who's going to do the kid pickups? Who's going to do the, what happens to the dog? You know, could we have two dogs and two cats? And every week, one of them needs He's to go sick. to the vet. Exactly. <laughs> Somebody's so barfing. We're yes. constantly, it, it's a constant conversation. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and we're we just engage with it daily. We're wow. we're in the pit together, wouldn't you say? <laughs> oh, absolutely. And, and you know, it was a much more challenging when the kids were, you know, smaller, and it required <laughs> constant care. Um, I'll never forget when Cheryl was doing the rewrites rewrites on Wild. 
I've never seen uh, a kind of better example of just like uh, discipline and grace under fire. I mean, you know, our kids would always like have the flu or some damn thing. And, you know, we'd be up all night and she would just like find these like 40 minutes of, of free time and then go down in the basement and suddenly get into this like, you know, focused writing zone and then come out of that and go back up into the domestic fray. Wow. And, uh, you know, because yeah. I think a lot of time we have this idea of like the artist or especially the writer, you know, kind of having this kind of, you know, process where I get, you know, she was just like, <laughs> fuck it, I got 40 minutes, I'm going to write this. You know, and it was just yeah. so in- inspiring to see that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the the I want to loop back to the idea of being supportive and the chocolate salt sort of thing. It seems to me like some people who are listening might think, all right, well, what I have to do is really like white knuckle my support of my partner. Like, it's okay, I just have to be really supportive. I just have to be really supportive. And what I'm picking up from the two of you is there's that in the face of, you know, financial stressors and logistical problems. But there's also this, I know my partner, I see them, and this is what fulfills them. Mm-hmm. And they mm-hmm. need to do this to be their richest, fullest self. Mm. And then maybe in addition to that, it's, I believe in their pursuit. Mm-hmm. This is yeah. not some yeah. harebrained, crazy, well, I guess this what this is what they right. like, so mm-hmm. I'm just going to plug my nose and try to be a supportive partner. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, I really, and this is that kind of cut from the same cloth. Yeah. You do do different things, but I see it as different vehicles for the same values. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and so it's like, I believe in you, I believe in this is what you need to do and I believe that you can do it. And I also believe that it's important that it's done. You yeah. know? Yeah. Like yeah. I am mm-hmm. I am jacked about what you do mm-hmm. and you need to do this for you, for me, for everyone who's gonna right. benefit yeah. from it. It, it's not just, I think, like, all right, yeah, I got to write this down. Be supportive of my partner. <laughs> yeah, okay, right. yeah. work no. on that. No. What a, you know, I was thinking about this you were an author and you were a filmmaker and now you're a filmmaker. I know. So, so <laughs> Look at me. Yeah. <laughs> so when's your book coming out, right? <laughs> but what was that conversation like? Because I can imagine in some ways that whole, the whole thing you talked about, like, ooh, I hope she's good. <laughs> same, same thing, right? Right. You're inviting her into your world. You're coming into Brian's world for the first time. But the topic, to Brian's point, the other Brian, is that this topic that you undertook with these girls in Nepal was so devastatingly important Mm -hmm. to the world. And so I want you to first describe this conversation that you had around this idea and why you decided to do it jointly. Well, uh I, I must say it, it doesn't feel like a huge departure. I mean, really? even though like, you know, yeah. uh, you know, Cheryl wasn't officially, you know, part of, you know, finding normal or alien boy or, or mothering inside. I always, you know, she's always my first kind of audience. You know, I, I so value like showing her rough cuts and getting feedback or, or even like during the kind of process of making a film, kind of discussing with her what's going on and who seems to be the main character and, you know, what I think the story might be and, so it wasn't like a huge departure where all of a sudden it's like, oh, who's this person I'm working with? May I? It just felt like a natural extension. And this project in Nepal, um, we had had the privilege of uh, meeting these young women uh, on our trip there the year before, and we kind of knew we wanted to do something with them. And they 
were very clear about, uh, you know, the stigma of Chopity and what it meant in their lives. And mm-hmm. so we pretty much knew we wanted to make a film about that. And it just was very natural and organic to make it together. So Cheryl, will you pick up and explain Chopity? Yeah. So Chopity is the practice of banishing girls and women when they're menstruating and also after childbirth. We didn't cover that in our film, um, but we we kept it narrowly focused on the experience the teen girls that we featured in the film had. But yes, uh, it's really a deeply, deeply held belief in Nepal that girls and women are toxic when they're bleeding. And this extends to really every aspect of their lives. So not only are girls and women actually banished from the home, they are not allowed to um, touch or, or consume pretty much any kind of food you can imagine. If you eat an apricot, the apricot tree will die. If you drink milk, the cow will die or the goat, right? That's the the thinking because there's really uh, strongly held beliefs around girls and women being, you know, uh, having that kind of power that they will contaminate things around them. And chalpity is um, really in most cases used to express the the most extreme end of menstrual stigma in Nepal, and that is really like banishing women uh, for two weeks, you know, to a cow shed or to the forest. Yeah. And there's also now like sort of tamer versions of chaupati that are very widely practiced um, in Nepal, even in cities like Kathmandu, where a girl will be, you know, confined to one room of the house or sent to her aunt's house to, while she's menstruating, essentially being ostracized and banished. When you you called it, we are forbidden, and it's um, the title is so it's a perfect title. But the part of it that really I think was was so hurtful to me was that the belief extends to a girl ruining the lives of her brothers and fathers yeah. if mm-hmm. they see them during this period, mm-hmm. and and so even if there's like a chance meeting, the belief is that the father or the brother might die, correct? Right, if the girl gazes upon the face of a male family member. Wow. And the way this stigma is perpetuated um, primarily is through the role of uh, the witch doctor in the community who uh, has a lot of power, and anything that goes wrong, like a, a cow dying or, or whatever, uh, can oftentimes the, be blamed on, oh, well, some family is not, you know, practicing chapati correctly. And so wow. there's this incredible pressure, even people that don't really believe it, um, to follow it because they, they risk, you know, being ostracized. So I was really, um, and to your point, Brian, I think it's so smart what you said around Cheryl's is a brilliant storyteller. And in many ways, filmmaking is just the visual impact of a great story, right? How did you work? Was it in tandem when you were thinking like, we want the narrative to go like this? Did you have a big part in right. that, Cheryl? Well, here's what happened. We, As Brian said, the first time we went to Nepal um, was November of 2017, and we these teen girls were um, attending the school where Brian and I both taught a workshop um, called Kopala Valley um, School in Sirkat, Nepal, and they wanted to meet with us. And we just thought we'd meet with them and talk to them about their lives. And within just a few minutes, they all uh, were telling us about Chaupati and crying and talking about how humiliating it was and scary and, you know, how they, they didn't want um, to, to have this imposed upon them anymore. Mm-hmm. And so the next year when we went back, you know, the biggest challenge, I think, of telling this story was that, the, that this isn't our story to tell. 
Yeah. So we knew that we as white Americans did not want to make a film that was saying, you know, America's so great and Nepal's doing bad stuff to women and girls right. because, of course, we have our own issues here, right? Yeah. But what we did want to do is, is essentially provide the girls with the platform to tell their stories, these stories that would otherwise maybe never be told. Right. So that was our first idea is really how can I as a writer and writing teacher uh, get the girls to tell their stories and how can Brian as a, as a director you know, show that story, right? And so we just decided to collaborate. And that's what we did. We went on day one, we sat in a circle and I asked the girls to write the story of their first period, what happened to them when they first got their periods. And they each um, wrote, it, it took a while actually to get them to do that because yeah. they, they were so confused by this notion of actually writing down a personal story. Oh, They'd never been asked to write essentially a memoir about their lives. Mm. It took some convincing wow. that their stories were worth telling. Wow. And finally, they, when they consented, you know, I saw they, they handed all their papers to me. Some of them wrote in English, others wrote in Nepali, and I had the Nepali translated. And that's where Brian and I together made this sort of collage of stories that you that you hear in We Are Forbidden. It's beautiful. From these girls just telling you what happened to them. The power of what happened to you. Yeah. You know, cannot be overstated. Was doing that was doing that challenging some of the girls' own belief that maybe they were toxic during that time? Or are they all like this is being imposed on me? Because it strikes me that if if everybody believes that this is your condition while menstruating, that some of those girls have, have internalized that message. Mm. And then you all coming right. in and saying, this is a completely okay thing to talk about, uh, is a strong counter message. Yeah, and it's the, really the work, the, the fact that they are all attending school when, when most of their parents never attended school. And at Coppola Valley School, they teach the kids, girls and boys alike, um, that 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 this is not true, okay. you know, that, that, that girls and women don't need to be banished. And it's backed up a bit by the Nepali government. I mean, this is a, a time of real transition and change in Nepal. So the Supreme Court of Nepal has outlawed chapati. I see. And it's like one of those things where it's like it's illegal, but everyone does it mm -hmm. because it is so, uh, you know, entrenched. And so the answer to your question, how do the girls feel about it? They're at that crossroads. They're saying you know what? I don't think I'm toxic when I'm menstruating. Mm, yeah. But that doesn't mean that they don't still carry some fear and shame. Sure. And what was so interesting, so the the girls have a, a social, like a counselor at their school, uh -huh. and she has a master's degree in social work. She's a therapist. Like she's all of these, She's she knows that Chapati is not true. And yet one thing she said to me when we were talking privately about it, she said, you know, I have to admit, even though I, I don't believe in any of this, when I'm visiting my parents... Wow. If I have my period, I go stay in one room because I just feel like, you know, I feel it feels uncomfortable not to obey those laws. And it's and it's because it's, you know, she was raised with those values. It's hard to completely yeah. shuck them off. Well, and I think I think it's easy to see an example that is different than what most of us in, in the U.S. kind of our cultural background and see that as, oh my God, that's so bizarre that that would happen. But of course, we all do the same thing, right? We have all internalized these stigmas and messages about ourselves. I mean, it's a big part of why we want to do this podcast is, sure. is decreasing the stigma around that's mental right. health stuff. And yet, you know, I'm a therapist and 
I don't always talk about my mental health struggles openly yeah, and out loud. Right. So we all kind of internalize these things and have conflicting feelings about, well, I know that I shouldn't kind of buy into this stigma, but, and I think the, I, at least from my perspective, our human's desire to belong is so incredibly mm, right. strong mm-hmm. yeah. that anything we do that feels like it's going to threaten us from belonging with our community feels literally like it's going to kill us. And so it's so inspiring to see these young women yeah. in your film doing this thing that is so courageous and speaking out when it must feel tremendously scary to them. Right. They're they're yeah. opposing their parents right. and much yeah. of the community. Right. Yeah. Because this is it's up for so many awards and you it it will eventually find its way to a general public, I imagine, right? People can go on Netflix and see it eventually. Well it's it's on the New York a shorter version of it is on the New York Times op doc page. Yeah. But did do you have a hope for it? I mean, with James Chassie, the police bureau brought in all these different changes with the women's prison. They were allowed to see their kids. I mean, the work of your documentaries, Brian, has been so, and you too, Cheryl, it's changed people's lives. It's changed laws. It's changed right. people for the better. What do you hope for? Well, I'm hoping, uh, I think what I would really love for this film is for us to be able to... Uh, maybe have a screening in Kathmandu that the girls would oh, go to yeah. and that we oh, could all be there, dream. you know, in the audience and just have them really oh. uh, kind of absorb the audience's appreciation for their strength and their courage. Wow. Yeah. wow. This is the moment I just fell in love with Brian. Yeah. You, everyone <laughs> will have this. Oh, having this a is, moment. This That's is a classic. Incredible. I'll just have you know, this is a classic Brian moment. <laughs> oh my if, God. if Brian had his way, all of the people he's featured in his films would be living with us. Um, so <laughs> I've had to actually, he keeps going, can't we just convert our garage into a little house? For... <laughs> But anyway, you know, I, I think that that's the, I mean, that was one thing that was very interesting also about our collaboration. And I, I also feel like we, we have to give a little shout out to our son Carver Lindstrom, Absolutely. Yeah, who yeah. did the sound on the film. So it was really a family oh. affair. Oh, wow. While our daughter Bobby was, um, th- th- there's also a children's, children's home associated film. with the school and she was helping with the kids there. But um, so Carver was 14 when he did the sound. He's 15 now, but he's in this room all week um, with these girls talking about their periods. They all fell madly in love with of him. Of course. <laughs> How could you not? <laughs> but, you know, we... What happened that week was so extraordinary. First of all, to just tell the girls, yes, I do want to hear your story. Please write it down. Mm. And to have that sort of tangle with them where they didn't, they really could not understand. It was lost in translation. Why would you want to know my story? Yeah. So just the power of them writing those stories. Then what we asked them to do is look straight into the camera and say in English, the words that they had written down. Right. And this was such a difficult process. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I can only and imagine. And then, of course, we're in the words are cut. Like, every time somebody finally got the line right, like, a big motorcycle would come, like, zooming down the street. Or you know, there'd be some Chickens big clucking. And, um, and, yeah. and just that, we when we left Nepal, we were like, it doesn't matter if we have enough for a film here. Yeah. Uh, what we what happened with those girls, just to, to look straight into a camera and speak your truth mm, is a very powerful act. Wow. No but, you know, I do hope, I mean, what I think of this film is as a contribution to the conversation that's finally happening yeah. about menstrual stigma around the globe yeah. and how this is not, this is a really a human rights issue. Yeah. Mm. Women and girls 
menstruate, right? For really many years. I mean, how many years if you add it all up? Uh, oh, if like- a, a woman lives her whole life in Nepal, she can spend as much as eight years living in a cow shed. In Chalpaday, oh. yeah. And and it's the wow. number one menstrual wow. stigma, not just in Nepal, but it, around the world. It's the number one uh, reason for student absenteeism. It's the number one reason that girls uh, don't finish you know, school, mm-hmm. uh, because they're they're home, and then you you stay home one week every four or five. You know that adds up. Yeah, and yeah, sure. you know it really has actual uh, economic consequences on on girls and women. But one thing I was so struck by, and we are forbidden when when we were listening back to what the language the girls used a lot. They kept saying humiliated. That they felt mm-hmm. humiliated. They they were too young to really know how this will have economic consequence for right. them someday. But but that they felt shame. Yeah. And mm-hmm. what happens to us? I mean, Brian and Jenna really can speak to this. What happens when shame mm-hmm. is built into your identity? Yeah. That you should be ashamed for because you so are female. Yeah. That yeah. that is this core part of who you are. Yeah. Right. And shame, you know. We, we know that shame causes us to want to hide as well, again, because of this idea right. that we want to be part of our community. And if there's something shameful about us, then we have to hide that from our or community else I'll get kicked or out. I'll get kicked yep. out. Exactly. Yep. And so it's just getting reinforced. I mean, they're literally having a message. Yes, you have to hide because this thing is shameful. And for something that is so core and fundamental to who you are it isn't like well i got to get rid of this behavior i got to stop doing this thing right because it makes me fundamentally bad this is no this is like what am i supposed to do how about core and fundamental to the survival of the human species right there's that part of it yeah Yeah. sure yeah Yeah. well and and girls and women die every year in nepal because of chapati that's the other thing uh that we that, that this really actually has um real consequences people just just uh last spring uh, a a mother and her two children died um, because she her husband was out of town she didn't have anyone to leave her kids with while she went away and to Chapati and she uh, started a a fire to to stay warm in the little kind of shed she was in and they all three died of smoke inhalation which is really a common cause of death uh, for women in Chapati. I just see now the potential of you two doing these kind of things together, and I hope that you'll share whatever um, next project it is that you do together, because honestly, uh, I feel so, I I almost cried like four times during this interview just because of the beauty you you Mm -hmm. two carry around, but... But for those people who are looking to a couple that really do have the kind of integrity and values that we try to talk about on this program, thank yeah. you for just being that and embodying that in the world. It yeah. really it means so, so much thank to you. me. It and really for does. each other, too. Yeah. It's just, thank yeah. you. Yeah. yeah, I'll need a moment just because, Brian, honestly, I've never met a guy who can take a pause and then say something that literally guts me like you. <laughs> <laughs> Brian's a true job. You know, and I also want to say to people listening out there who are sort of just sad and lonely right now or something didn't work out in a relationship that they thought was going to work, that it seemed like that perfect match at the beginning and then it didn't work. You know, some of this is, uh, you know, like obviously we draw people to us um, and we, we have intentions and we're responsible for our lives, but some of it's luck, Yeah, you know? Yeah. And I, I do every day, honestly, 24 hours in, uh, 24 years in, <laughs> it's been longer than 24 hours, <laughs> 24 years into loving Brian, I honestly 
am still astounded. And I know, you know, I just mm-hmm. think I'm I'm lucky. I got so lucky that I met mm-hmm. this person yeah. who not I only believes in me, completely. but in my mission. And and that I feel that same way back to him, you yeah. know. And mm-hmm. and so you're not to blame if you haven't found that partner. Mm. I, I hope that what we leave you with today is not that like, look at us, we're so great and poor you, but rather... Um, you know, this is possible. Totally. And I, yeah. and I would just add too, that if you're listening to this podcast, it's like, okay, not only do I have to find that person, but then I have to go make a documentary that will change the world. Mm. <laughs> like, yeah. like values are freely chosen and they're personal and it can be very, very small scale. Yeah. The, the thing that I hear is I see you, I value you, I get you. And I see that this is core to who you are and I, and I want to support it for mm. you and just because I believe in your mission as well. Yeah. Whatever that is. I could spend three hours with you guys, but I know you got to get to the gym. Oh, we got to get to the gym. <laughs> and we go to the gym together. Well, next week, tune in. We're going to talk about all the things that Brian can work on. <laughs> That'll be a, a series, not just one episode. <laughs> we're starting a new podcast. <laughs> Thanks to the support of the Foundations for Excellence in Mental Health Care. If you want to uh, continue to hear this program, just click on the link and find out more. <laughs>